amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The Studio DNA Podcast Network presents... What else with Corey Mann? Hit the subscribe button, leave a review, help spread the word, and tell a friend. Follow Corey on Twitter at My Name is Corey, on Instagram at Mr. Corey Mann, or email CoreyMann0818 at gmail.com. That's C O R E Y M A N N 0818 at gmail.com. What else with Corey Mann? In partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find more of your favorite podcasts at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Well, I've got something very special for you today. Not one, but two guests back to back on What Else? Bob Goff is a lawyer, an author, a speaker, loves Jesus, loves people. He's got a new book. We'll hear from him second. But first, I'd like to introduce you to Brett Culp. I met Brett a few years back when he was working on his documentary, Legends of the Night. Oh, yeah, a Batman documentary. And his latest project, Look to the Sky, featuring Superman, and a book uh, that's a companion piece to the documentary film called Look to the Sky as well. Brett's a motivational speaker. How about acclaimed filmmaker? What else with Corey Mann on the Studio DNA Podcast Network? I remember stumbling across... You and your work when Legends of the Night started getting talked about and uh, refresh my memory was that a was it a Kickstarter campaign, Brett, or some sort of hey come fund yeah, this the program? Last time you and I, yeah, the last time you and I talked, there was a simultaneous Kickstarter and trailer launch for that film. Finish it. So we were you know nine months away from being done, and and that was when that project really went viral because it the trailer went nuts. And uh, crowdfunding, we raised, you know, $40,000 in two days or something. What's it like now in uh, hindsight? You know, you're, you're far past it. That whole experience, if you could sum it up. That was like lightning in a bottle. 
you know, I, you know, it was it's so strange because that was my first documentary film, first time I'd ever done a feature length. I'd done some smaller films, and so I mean, it was just this incredible, sensational feeling to have something that you did, that you worked on, be so embraced, so loved, people be so excited about it. And it's funny because you kind of get a little spoiled. It's like, you know, you think, oh, well, everything I ever do for the rest of my life is going to be like this. And, you know, that's never the way it is. But, but it was such a joyful process to watch so many people rally around a very positive, uplifting film and message. So that, I mean, that gave me so much hope, so much excitement, so much positive sense that the world not only needed, but wanted more of that. Did that open some doors that you had no idea would have even opened? You know, I mean, because of my commitment for that project to really be primarily a not-for-profit project, you know, the, the, the last time we talked, that project was just, you know, at the beginning stages, it was just a film. We didn't know what we were going to do with it. I mean, that was the weird thing about that project is, you know, when it went viral and was so, you know, embraced and was picked up in so many media outlets, major international media outlets all over the world, people would say to me, well, this is amazing, so what are you going to do with this? Like, what are you going to do with this film? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I still don't know. Uh, we finished the film. I still didn't know. We were having a lot of discussions with different businesses and distributors, and you know, I mean, it was very much like, "Wow, what, what am I in here? What, what should I do with this?" And ultimately, we decided to to create this charitable initiative around the film, where people could request screenings of Legends of the Night in their local movie theater, with the proceeds going to the charity of their choice. And we didn't know if that would work. There were a lot of people in the film industry that said to me, this is a stupid idea. You've got all this opportunity right now. Why would you do something like this? But it was just in my heart that it was the right thing to do. And so we did that, and that went viral too. We ended up screening the film in 110 cities all over the world, raising about $100,000 for charity on $10 tickets. And then that created another wave of attention, and the film still ended up on Netflix and iTunes and Amazon Prime and Hulu and all those amazing places. And so I think what it did more than anything else was kind of give me something to put on my resume where, you know, when I went to people and said, here, I have a, another idea, I want to do something good in the world, people were like, well, yeah, you, you clearly did it before. You could have gone a million directions with this and you clearly went the direction of trying to make the world a better place, we will dive in and we will help. And, and that's then been the story of this, this new project, Look to the Sky. Brett, how, how far past Legends of the Night did the decision to go, all right, let's go after Superman now? When did that kick in? You know, I think there was this sense from the start that, you know, once this project was so embraced and so loved, I think it was clear to me that we needed to do a follow-up to it. You know, I didn't want to just drop the mic and walk away. I felt there were people that were like, we did, sc we did charity screenings of Legends of the Night. We'd love to do this again. You know, there were people that really wanted me to kind of continue that same thing. So, you know, I felt like, you know what, let's, let's do it again. Let's, let's create one more shot at this. And I felt that Superman obviously was, you know, the flip side of the same coin. Batman and Superman are the 
kind of, you know, constant contrast of, you know, the dark knight and the the bright, you know, character, you know, those two opposites, but they were also kind of linked historically for a long, long time. And I also, as I thought about Superman, you know, here's this character who represents hope. You know, he represents the future. He represents possibility. His nickname you know, not so much today, but historically, his nickname was the Man of Tomorrow. He's this character that's about looking to the future with positivity and imagining what we could be and what's possible for our lives. And yet, I think this is a character we struggle with today, you know, that, that we can't quite get our fingers around the right interpretation of him because the world is not as hopeful as it was. And it's not because the world isn't better, because statistically... You know, the reports show that the world is better than it ever has been, particularly for people in the United States. I mean, we are making improvement. Life is better. We are healthier. We are, you know, th- there is so much good going on, and yet there is, we're on some level less hopeful than we ever have been about what's ahead. And so I thought Superman was really a unique character to pursue because. You know, different than Batman, which is much more a story about individual, you know, the, your own individual confidence that you can rise up from the darkness of your life and do something good and still accomplish something. Superman, in some ways, is kind of a, uh, he's less about the relational, you know, connectedness, like we can relate to him, uh, like we can with Batman. He's more of a cultural symbol of who we believe we're becoming and where we're going, which is why he was so popular when he was, because that was a time when the nation was very in sync and rallied together around, you know, the Great Depression and World War II and these causes where we were very united. That's when Superman was at his peak, historically, culturally. And so I wanted to kind of explore that idea of, does hope still live? Is that perspective you know, still in us. So we captured the stories of 10 young people who I felt really had shown that, that heroic, iconic Superman spirit of hopefulness. And we talked about in the film that interviewed experts and psychologists and writers about what hope is and how it works and how we get more of it into our lives. And I think in the end, you know, I've done, we've now screened this film in 50 cities. And I've been to many of those screens and talked to people, and there is a marked, you know, when you get to the end of a film like this, I think it opens up that sense of possibility to say, yeah, you know, Superman really can be real, and I can still live out in that spirit, even in a world where I feel like I'm getting pelted in the face with bad news every day. I love that you can watch this on Netflix now, uh, and I would encourage uh, those that are listening to this podcast to, you know, put a night aside and, and gather the family around the old TV and, and watch this documentary. I, you, yeah, you, now this one, look to, look to the sky, this one is on Hulu. Oh, it's on Hulu, so, I'm sorry. No, on it's Hulu. fine, it's fine. Yeah, look to the sky is on Hulu, it's on iTunes, it's on Amazon, uh, but not Netflix this time. Okay. Um, I was going to ask you about it, but you, you kind of you hinted at the, the ten stories of the individuals. Here's a question I'd love to ask you. Give me the top Three things, Brett. When it's time to make a documentary, here are to- here are the top three things or three big things you're going to need to do to accomplish this task. Yeah. So I mean, 
the first question, the first issue, the first part of any documentary process is research. And, you know, that's kind of the stage, you know, when you work on a, like a narrative film, like you'd see in the movie theater, you know, they call that scripting. You know, you sit and you write the script. But in documentary filmmaking, it's less about scripting and more about research. You have an idea. You have a thesis. You think, okay, I think we can show this, you know, and communicate this idea. Well, you have to go out into the world then and see if you can find the stories and the experts and the information that can really bring that to life. And I think the mistake that many first-time documentary filmmakers make is they just grab the camera and start shooting. And they forget that there's a lot of phone calls and a lot of meetings and a lot of reading and a lot of research that goes into these before you're even qualified to go out as a filmmaker and have meaningful discussions with people about these topics. So, for instance, with this film, I read a lot about the history of Superman, the background of the character. I read a lot of psychological you know, books from psychologists about hope and what hope is. I read a lot about, you know, comic book history and, I mean, a lot of different topics. I read some about child development and how they perceive hope and positivity different than we do as adults and why it's more natural for them. Because, again, these were the concepts I was trying to communicate. I needed to kind of become an expert at them before I could dive in. So, I mean, that's, that's the first thing is, is that research. second thing is... You know, you've got to have on some level the equipment to do it. If you're just starting out, you may not need all the equipment that I have because your goal may not be for the film to be on iTunes or Hulu or Netflix. You may just want the film to be something you can put on YouTube and be proud of or have on your website or on Facebook. And, you know, the reality is, is that many people with our mobile phones today you know, we can capture amazing quality video that looks great. Uh, it's just a matter of kind of learning how to, how to make the most of it, how to use it. So I think practicing, getting the equipment together. And then really the third stage is editing, you know, where you sit down with this mountain of footage. You know, my films typically are about 75, 80 minutes, but we'll have, you know, 500 hours of raw footage to go through to get it down to that length. And so that's a Herculean task of itself, and you kind of have to have that mindset of, you know, one step at a time. You know, one, you, can't, you can't think of it like, how will I do, how will I get through 500 hours of footage? You can't think of it that way. You just have to sit there and start moving through it one minute at a time and saying, this is, this is good, that's not good. And so you whittle that down to 100 hours, and then you whittle that down to 50 hours, and then you whittle that down to five hours, and then you whittle that down to three hours, and now you're at the point where you really can, you really can do it. You really can start real finessing the story out of it, and it's just one step at a time. Can I add a fourth one then, Brett? Uh, patience, apparently. <laughs> you know, that is no question. There's no question about that. I mean, this, these films, the reality of them is that they take about three years to create because... You do the research, you go out and do the filming, you think you've got it, you start the editing, you're in the editing room, you realize there are some things you're missing, you have to go out and do more filming, you do more editing, you know, you, you do more filming, more editing, I mean, it's back and forth, back and forth, and then you do a focus group, 
where you get a little, you know, a group of ten people together and you show them the rough cut of the film, and then they tell you all the things you didn't realize were missing or that didn't make sense or that weren't what you meant to say, and then you go back and do it again, and then, you know, after that, I mean, it's just, it goes on and on and on, that process, and sometimes you think you're done and you're not done, and, you know, and so whenever I get into one of these, people are constantly pitching me ideas for documentaries. They send me emails to my website. I do a lot of speaking engagements. They come up to me after my keynote, and they pitch me ideas, and, you know, the bottom line is, if I'm not excited enough about your idea to want to spend three years of my life thinking about it every day, then there's no way I'm even going to consider it because these projects are huge, huge commitments. But once it's done, you know, when you premiere it for the first time, it's an astounding feeling, you know. I mean, and I went to a screening of, we did the same charity initiative with Look to the Sky. And, I mean, on Friday, I was with a group of middle schoolers, these eighth graders, who they had the idea to host this screening. They put it together. They invited all their family and friends, and they raised, I don't know the number yet, but I know it's more than $1,000 that they raised for a charitable effort that they cared about. And to watch your film be used as a catalyst for eighth graders to create a charity event for the first time in their life to invite people into it, to get excited, not about playing video games on their phone, but about doing something good for the world, for the community, and to know that on some level, your film, your project, your work as an artist, as a filmmaker, was a catalyst for that. That's worth the three years. I mean, that's great joy. I want to respect your time, and I, I see that we're, we're almost out, but I want to point people towards Brett Culp, B-R-E-T-T, Culp, C-U-L-P dot com. You're truly a renaissance man. you got the documentaries. You've got a companion book. Uh, you're, you're speaking. Uh, you got a podcast. You've got a, a, a video uh, channel as well. And uh, in I guess this would be my last question. What are you working on now? Can you pull back the curtain on what you're working on now? Or is it still secretive? No, no, I sure can. Our, our next documentary film is now a departure from this superhero world. We're making a film that's called A Voice That Carries. It's about the special relationship between fathers and daughters and how fathers can make an incredible impact in their daughters' lives. And right now, we, we've essentially given 10 dads who have daughters these challenges to where they're, they're, they're challenged to do things, experience things, say things to their daughters that they've never done before and see what comes out of it. It's like we're giving them a nine-week experiment to do, and we don't even really know what's going to happen. We're just following along the journey and filming it as we go, and we're seeing wonderful, wonderful things. And so I think this is a perfect time for us to have a great discussion like this. And uh, I'm super excited about that film. I think we'll start screenings of that next year in 2019. I'll, uh, since you said it's three years, I'll uh, email your team, Brett, and we'll talk again in 2021. <laughs> you know, oh, that's great. Hey, Brett, I appreciate you, and uh, I love what you're doing. You inspire me uh, daily, and I love that uh, on Facebook you always give me a glimpse of what you're working on, and it, and it helps me, uh, you know, keep a laser focus on what I'm doing as well. So I just want to tell you I appreciate you. Thanks so much, Corey, and, and I'm glad we could connect, and 
appreciate what you're doing for your community as well. Keep shining, my friend. What else is a part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network? And the network is indeed fan-funded. If you jump in and decide to financially support Studio DNA, you'll get your own podcast feed that includes bonus episodes and extra content. Financial support starts as low as $3 a month at patreon.com slash studio DNA. No idea how to download a podcast or listen on your smartphone? Well, me either. Check out studiodna.media. That's studiodna.media. Now, back to the show. Bob Goff has a new book out right now called Everybody Always, Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. I was able to grab him for a few minutes on the phone. Bob, I feel like I'm on the outside looking in on a great inside joke. I keep seeing fingers, uh, thumbs with paint on them, and I'm curious what that's all about. Oh, you know, I wrote this uh, book, Everybody Always, and I was trying to think of what I could do to kind of communicate that message that we're all just so unique. And the whole uh, premise of the book is how do you love people who creep you out? And so I have a... uh, witch doctor school of all things in uh, northern Uganda and we teach witch doctors how to read and write. We don't need to teach them how to be witch doctors. They already know. And so I asked them if they wanted to go in on the book with me and they said they did and so I took all their fingerprints and we made the cover out of those. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Just the idea of like uh, someone staring at the cover of this book and it's like, you know, those are witch Witch doctor thumbprints, right? <laughs> yeah, because it's easy to love the people that are nice, fun, and have the same worldview as us. But it took me about five years before I got around to writing this book after Love Does, because I really didn't have anything to say until I just saw how on edge everybody was. We've got everybody that's talking about how the other guy's more creepy than the next, and I thought, what did Jesus talk about? He, you know, about this whole idea of loving people, not just tolerating them, not just being polite with them, but then actually engaging people, but not engaging people in arguments. Okay? And I'm a lawyer. I win arguments for a living. But what I'm trying to do is engage the people who creep me out. Now, I try death penalty cases against witch doctors in Uganda that harm kids. So you got to understand it isn't just like a Hallmark card. It's God loves justice, but... There's no love without justice, but there's no justice without love. So we're just trying to engage these people, and instead of telling them they're bad guys, show them this other path. But they're already leaders of their community. They're just creeping everybody out. I feel like I'm on a little bit of a bubble. I don't know that I'll ever get to cross paths with a with a witch doctor, but what else does your book have to say? Like, uh, I'm guessing you're a, you're a master storyteller. I'm guessing there's a lot of stories about people that creep you out in the book. Yeah, totally. And then also people that have overcome some significant setbacks in their life. Um, that's another thing that is uh, one of the themes of the book. How do you love difficult people, and how do you overcome these setbacks that you have? So I have some friends that don't creep me out at all. As a matter of fact, they inspire me that they've accomplished so much, even though they've had some really significant setbacks in their lives. I teach a class up at Pepperdine Law School, and the class is on failure. And uh, we don't teach people how to fail. Everybody's already good at that. Uh, But what do you do next? And so every week I have one of my friends who screwed up in front of Earth come in and talk about what they did next. So it's really been beautiful. So sometimes what we do is we take people who fail and then we create a bunch of distance because we don't want to get any on it. And I realized I'd spent my whole life avoiding all these people that Jesus spent his whole life engaging. And I just decided I was going to change. 
But that whole idea, I'm really, uh, in so many respects, they're students uh, because they're willing uh, to engage me even though I creep them out. That's such a great story to hear when someone takes their failure and learns from it and uh, still turns into the next chapter, right? You bet. And the, uh, the thing about chapter titles is that the best titles come later. So you might think of something that's happened in your life and you would have uh, titled that thing like rejection. Uh, maybe somebody said no to the prom in high school. But you give it a little while, you'll actually retitle that more accurately, really. Or sometime that you felt like you were prevented from something, if you give it a little bit later, you would retitle that you were protected. So what I'm trying to do is just be a little bit slower in writing chapter titles for other people. Instead of calling them loser, um, you might just call them a beginner. (laughs) 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 It's just not that good at loving people yet, but they're going to get there. You know, if you want to raise a radish, it takes 20 days. If you want a pear, it takes seven years. So I think sometimes we're trying to make radishes out of pears. The new book is called Everybody Always. I'll point our podcast listeners to bobgoff.com. Bob, I'm sure you're going to be out on the uh, on the road signing books and talking about this around the country. Yeah, they, they keep me moving around pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Bob, thanks for a few minutes, and uh, I loved your previous book, and I got to sit with my daughter at Grace College in Warsaw this past year. You, you spoke at chapel, and it was... Oh, fun! Yeah, it was great to yeah. experience that with her at her school, so... Oh, thanks a million. Well, get out there. Keep loving people. You're good at it. Everybody always. Thanks, Bob. I appreciate you. Okay, so long. Thanks so much for downloading What Else. If you like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button. If you're a social media type, maybe you could share one of the podcasts with a friend. You can always hit the like button as well. Until next week. Another new episode of What Else happens every Monday. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to What Else with Corey Mann. Hit the subscribe button. Leave a review. Help spread the word and tell a friend. Follow Corey on Twitter at My Name is Corey, on Instagram at Mr. Corey Mann, or email CoreyMan0818 at gmail.com. That's C O R E Y M A N N 0818 at gmail.com. Hey everybody, Stephen Curtis Chapman here, and this morning's secret word is Donkey Man. What else? With Corey Mann, in partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find more of your favorite podcasts at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.